Thank you so much for being here this morning. I see some faces I've missed for a while. I love you. I thank you. I'm honored that you're here and that you're well. I see, don't see, but I know we have people online that uh, I want to bless and thank you from different countries and different places here uh, in this nation. That is humbling. It overwhelms us. I want to give a special shout out to uh, Dr. Garth and Tina Kuntz, who are faithful. And um, Tina had a five-hour surgery on her leg. And uh, what, a, what a tough woman of God. And uh, we just are praying with her for her full recovery. Uh, the, the diagnosis came out good. She's got circulation back in that leg, and we thank God for that. And uh, Garth is aggressive. Um, uh, TCT continues to grow, and you know that's, um, that's, that's our heart. We love TCT. We love Garth. And uh, they just uh, dedicated Seattle. They're opening up a station in Seattle. It'll come online in the next couple weeks with four more stations following that. And his goal is for another eight to ten stations still in the next 12 months. Now, how many people do you know that would say they're in the twilight of their life that said, no, I'm just beginning, and they're growing what God has given them, not once, not twice, but five times. How many people do you know like that? Do you think that's God? I think that's God. I want to give a shout out to Cheryl and Nancy. I hope you're watching while you're suffering over there on the coast somewhere by the ocean. Um, may you not be burned because you're inside watching us. And uh, so many, I don't want to forget any of you, Jim McKinney, um, friends that are all over the place. We just want to thank you for being with us. Let's just cover this in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we come to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And we thank you, Father, that your anointing and blessing is upon us. Father, we want to just have simple truth this morning. We just want to celebrate you, Jesus and to just fathom what has been accomplished without going through so many details, but yet, Father, grasping the, the, the meat and the fiber of what you have imparted to us and done for us, and the promise that is there for all of us, while some might even come today, whether here in this house or online, or in the next week as this tape is played over and over. We thank you. Father, you be glorified. Jesus, you be glorified. Holy Spirit, Spirit of glory, continue to fall upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the, um, as I was contemplating the, the more deep things of the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, what I realized was that there was an emerging that went on emerging that was waited for from the beginning of time where the word the word god himself merged with the prophetic word on the cross and accomplished everything that he wanted to do from before the beginning of time for you and i now we can't quite grasp that unless we dwell into that a little bit and to do so I would like to just point out a word. I was asking the Lord the other day for a word, just not a word for this message, but a single word. I felt led to go to a single word. 
And as I began to read the account of Christ on the way to the cross and the Passover supper, the last supper and the betrayal and what accounted for in the garden and his words that he spoke prior to uh, and during these events, something jumped out at me and it comes out of Luke chapter 22 and in verse, starting in verse 14 and This is that hour when he's beginning to be prepared with the Passover supper. And he says, when the hour was come, he sat down in the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, and listen to these two words, with desire. Say the word desire. Desire. Say it like you desire. 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 I have desired. Now, That would not be proper English, really, for those of us who've been taught not to use the same word back-to-back and use one as a pronoun, one as a nine, one as a passive verb, right? I mean, it's all come together. But think about what he just showed us and revealed to us. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. As I meditated and contemplated upon that, and of course it led me to get into the roots of those words, desire, and that I have desired. And I realized as I did that this root word for desire comes out of a meaning very simple. It's called epi, and what it means is that it superimposes time. It takes something that is abstract and imposes it into time. It is Christ himself taking himself eternal, who is timeless and imposing himself into time, and he exposes to us that the heart of him and the Father is one that has earnest desire and passion. So he looks at his disciples, and he looks at this moment And some would call it deja vu, right? It's something he had seen already. He was waiting to see. He had seen it since before the beginning of time. He's eternal. He is the Word. He gave the Word to Isaiah and to all the prophets. He gave the words to John the Baptist. And his own words were coming out of words that had already been released timeless. And here he sits almost himself as an abstract painting. And he's coming into a moment. How many of you come into a moment where you say, have I been here before? Have I done this before? I believe, it's, I don't believe in any of the hogwash that comes from the cults and the Eastern philosophies, studied and did all of that. I'm talking about linking into the eternal spirit of God. And he's eternal. And here's Christ speaking eternal words. He said, I desired and I have desired. So with desire, I have desired. This desire began from before we were even spoken into being. This desire to be at that supper. He doesn't use this anywhere else in Scripture. But yet he rejoices that he's coming into this supper. Some have called it the last supper, but really it's the first supper. It's the supper of the new covenant. And what he's releasing to us is that I've got this excitement. I've been waiting for this. You don't even, you can't even fathom how long I've been waiting for this moment. 
we speed dial ahead and we understand through the book of Revelation that the Lamb himself is waiting for another moment and all the angels with him. And, and I can imagine that he's saying again, I desire for this that I desire. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I know this is coming, but only the Father knows this hour. And so the Lamb sits and waits to when he will return and reclaim his kingdom. This is all about kingdom. This is a kingdom statement. This is bringing the kingdom from heaven to earth. This is the word of God telling us that he desires and this to see what he has desired. So he takes and superimposes time into the moment. And into that moment, he then begins to unfold. He says, this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now hold that thought because we'll come back to it as we have communion today. I don't have a long message with you. You say, oh yeah, I'm going to buy that one. Yeah, buy that one. Uh, I purposefully kept it very short. But I want to give credit where credit is due. I felt the Lord speaking to me very clearly that today we want to expose and define the power of his resurrection. And you know that happens to be a theme that, that echoes inside of me and churns inside of me. And I share it everywhere I go, all the time that I go. And out of Philippians 3.10, it's a foundational uh, scriptural law for me as I walk in the kingdom of God. And that is that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, conforming even unto his death. That I might know him and his power. So many people know about Jesus. So many people say his name over and over and over and over. Some in cursing and some in worship. So his name is known. His deity has been exposed, but it's really crossing the line when we know him intimately and can say, now I have discovered the power. To just know about Jesus is not to be able to operate in his power. And I shared with you on Tuesday night that I had a the dog of all dogs. And uh, he, he had a, a, a very creative name. His name was Boy. And, uh, but it was B-U-O-Y. And in Dutch, that's Boy, B-U-O-Y. He was a highly trained Belgian Malinois, if you've ever seen one, and probably one of the larger ones that you would ever see. And um, I met this dog under a very, very fearful circumstance. I went down to a place called Canine down in... Um, down in southern Florida, down on the tip. And there they train dogs for the FBI, the CIA, for the military, and for the highest levels. They're very, very well known. And their dogs are very, very expensive. And so I went with a friend of mine who had a dog to watch his dog get worked out. And I don't even remember why I went, but I did. And I watched this dog go through all the motions. He jumped on top of a van from a leap. He took down two or three men. He took a knife and brought it to the feet of the trainer. He sat and waited while stakes were put in front of him. He would not move until the command came, and when it came, he did exactly what the command was. And for some reason, they all got excited, and they were with some guy from the FBI who was watching this dog, who determined it was too expensive for the FBI. He wanted to look at another breed, so off they went, 
And they left the dog about 20 feet from me and me. And I'm watching this dog, and all this is going through my mind, what a vicious attack animal machine this is. And the dog finally looks, and he sees them gone, and he looks at me, and he begins to creep towards me. I think he was waiting for somebody to give him a command. And I think he was trying to figure out, am I friend or foe? Am I dinner? Or am I, a, or am I someone that's going to love on him? And he got up close to me, and I remembered his name, and all I said was, boy. He jumped up, put his paws right here on my shoulders, and we were face to face. I don't know whose breath smelled worse, but he liked mine. And he began to lick me. And, of course, I began to hug him and pet him. And when they finally came out, and he and I were sitting on the ground having a love fest. And I said, I want this dog. And the man said, he's very expensive. I said, I don't want to pay too much for him, but I want this dog. And he said, boy, the dog looks like he wants you too. I said, yes, he does. Needless to say, a week later, I took the dog home. The dog had a command that was very, very unique. All his commands were in Dutch, and one of them was souk. Souk means seek. And when you said souk, and you would let him know what he was seeking, he would not relent until he either found it or he would come to you with his tongue hanging out and let you know it's not there. And one time we had an, an island invasion where we lived off of Miami Beach, and they were looking for two men that had tied up a couple. And the island had been sort of vacated and blocked off, and the house next to us had been empty, and I saw that the front door was open. So I thought, maybe they're hiding in there. So I had a choice, the, my 357 or boy. I opted for boy because I figured I might shoot the wrong person, but at least if boy found them, they couldn't say too much. So I opened the door. I said, Sook. Boy went in. And you could hear him going through that whole house. He went upstairs. He went downstairs. He was pushing doors open. And when he came and looked at me, I said, Sook, Sook. And he went back and he, he looked again and he looked again and he looked again. And I was absolutely convinced nobody was in there. And the only thing that he wanted from me was an affirmation that he had done a good job. Desire. When I think of Christ and how he sought to go to the cross, I can only get that vision of Suk. But the difference is, boy's life expired from when he was born. He had an expiration date. And when you and I are born, this flesh has an expiration date. And that's why we need to understand that heart of Christ that seeks us and wants us while we still have this breath. And Christ had this desire to seek, to seek from before you were born. Who was he seeking? You and me. And he doesn't quit. He doesn't relent. None of us are ever too far gone. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. By the grace of God, here I stand. And by the grace of God, I believe I'll stand tomorrow. Not because... I'm such a good guy or can do great things, but it's because of who he is and what he did and that passion, that desire that he has inside of him 
to relent and never stop. Psalms 22 is one that I often read when we get around this season as I want to understand the fellowship of his sufferings. And, and when you read it and understand that this is a messianic psalm that David captured as he got the understanding and the prophetic insight into Christ, and he was commiserating, and what he said was that basically he described his visit to hell. And one scripture sticks out to me in that it's that bulls of Basham have surrounded me and they're gnawing their teeth at me. And that's where the scripture came out. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's why we know that's the Messianic Psalm because Christ echoed it on the cross and David must have seen it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Contrast that to epi, desire. On one end, he's desiring, he's seeking it. He's taken and superimposed out of time into the present now. And on the other hand, he's on the cross. Totally emptied out, as we learn in Philippians. And he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he, he still went. And he even knew, he confessed that I could call legions of angels to take me off of this cross. But he would not be moved because he's seeking you and me. Christ is steadfast. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the good news is that he has not relented yet in chasing and pursuing you and me. You see, we get a glimpse of of how solid he is, what a good friend he is. I don't know about you, but there's times I wish I were a better friend to some people. I don't know whether I just don't think of something at the right time. I don't know if I'm not available at the right time. Let's face it, maybe we're being selfish. Maybe we're more self-centered about something that matters more to us than to somebody else or to something else. How many of us feel we fall short? Of course we do but yet he never does. He didn't fall short of us. He's always seeking us and looking for us. And his love is never ending. The magnet that draws us to Christ is the love of the Father. The scriptures tell us no man can come to the Son unless he's drawn by the Father. And then in that same chapter, it says, no man can come unto the Father unless he's drawn by the Son. You see, there's a big difference between Passover blood and the blood of the Lamb of God. Passover blood is external. It's a wonderful celebration, and we celebrated it here prophetically in the Word of God, and we had communion with matzah, and, and we had the fruit of the vine, the juice, and yes, we celebrate it, and the scriptures say, hold on to this forever. But it has, if you will, superimposed itself into another more lasting celebration, and that is the Lamb of the God, because that blood was to pass over judgment and sins. But there's a difference. The blood of the Lamb is through the eternal spirit. That blood covers a sin but yet, the sinner is really not changed. The sin is covered. 
But His blood transforms the sinner into a new creature. And then we can clearly say, old things have passed away and old things are new. I assure you there were many people born who sacrificed that lamb or that goat religiously every year and wondered, how long can I stay righteous before I'm in sin again? And the rabbis couldn't answer the question for him because they too were fearful. What happens if I sin before the next sacrifice? Am I caught in between in a quandary of time? Has time expired for me? We are supposed to be keepers of our own being. But the one being that we seem to forsake the most is our soul. And so many people say they know religion, they know God, they know Jesus, or they don't care. But yet, if you will, they're playing roulette with their soul. There is a day when all of us expire here on earth, but there is not a day that your soul expires. Your soul is eternal. And eternal life is real, and eternal hell is real. They're as real as real can be. They're more real than the very existence you think that we're in right now. This will pass away. Your soul shall not. Your soul shall take a journey, and not the kind of journey that cults like to talk about. Not the kind of journey that is metaphysical, that you might come back here in another life form or something and get another chance to climb up the class level of goodness. I don't often preach a message that instills fear, but yet as I was preparing and something I often do, and maybe you do too, I like to go to the classics. I like to go to hear and listen and see what some of the best at what they do have done. Now, there's some good out there today. There's some very, very talented and gifted speakers in that. Call me old-fashioned, call me what you will, but I just have to get back into those in the 1800s and the 1900s and, and put the exclamation point on with Billy Graham. How anointed that man was. How anointed. He never relied on anything that was supernatural. He never relied upon anything that was showmanship. He simply preached the gospel, and he didn't bend it but he bent a lot of ears. And so as I was contemplating this morning, I listened to one of his sermons, very short. And that sermon was about the offense of the cross. And I took a few notes. And I just want to share them, giving credit where credit is due. And Billy said that the answer to all of our problems are found at the foot of the cross. How many here today might say that you're still trying to overcome some problems in your life? How many of you would dare say, I'm perfect? <laughs> well, on one end, I would have to agree with you because you've been perfected through Christ, so that's a statement of faith. That's good. But let's face it, we're all a work in process. And he said, whether it's personal or corporate or National or international, <clears throat> all the answers are at the cross. Now, if you recall, we did a series on talismans and a message on talismans and rituals and things that people hold on to that 
they say over and over, do over and over as if it's a formula. And as if that thing is going to preserve us because it worked one time, and so I'll just continue to repeat it no matter what I do. And that's how we end up with ritual prayers. And there's not a faith or a denomination that has not found itself caught in the clutches of ritual prayers or a person. And to some, the cross has become nothing more than a piece of jewelry, a talisman. To others, it's a piece of art. It's something that's been embossed or it's become sentimental or it's something that's an emblem of poets and artists. Maybe it has a romantic interest. But the truth of the matter, the intent of the cross was to be an offense. It was an offense to hang on the cross. The cross is a stumbling block to those who want to evade and avoid the things of God. And so when we preach the cross, it's really not a motivational message. When we preach the cross, it's like, wow, the only answer is that the cross, and the cross isn't pretty. Now, the resurrected Christ is wonderful and beautiful, and we who are his creatures, we turn out to be things of tremendous work as the potter continues to mold us and prepare us. But the cross itself, it condemns. And it condemns the evils of the world. Billy said that King Herod was challenged by the message of repentance because he didn't want to have to confess that he was bound up in adultery and immorality. Pilate was a coward and didn't want to have to fend off the crowds. Let's face it, the blood is a difficult message, isn't it? It tells us in studies that there's really not one religion or one cult that has not included blood sacrifice in their history somewhere. There's always a blood sacrifice. And the blood is a bit appalling, isn't it? I know one of the things as I was studying Torah that I just could not grasp and understand was this worship of blood. For, of course, in that time and era, there was no more sacrifice in the temples. So the blood was meaningless. It was just something that had become a, a, a statement of religion, something that was past and gone. And it seemed to me to be somewhat cannibalistic for my Christian friends, and especially with my tenure at Ursuline Catholic High School, that there was so much talk about this blood. It didn't appeal to me because I was thinking as natural man. And natural people, their minds are blinded by the devil, controlled by passions of the flesh, of lust, greed, want, desire, and compromise. The cross is an offense to all of that. But Christ is a magnet to life and life eternal. It tells us in the book of Romans that this carnal mind, this natural mind, it's actually at enmity with God. It's an enemy of God. Our own natural mind is at war against the cross. Greed. Greed happens to be probably the declaration of dependence upon society today. I need more. I want more. 
What happens if I don't have it? What happens if I run out? I'm going to support so-and-so because they're going to give me a check. I'm going to get my check and I'm going to do something with it. But the problem with greed is it has an expiration date. And the things that we want and receive from greed, they seem to diminish and evaporate over time and soon there's nothing there. Indifference happens to be something that slips into people of God and to natural people. There's an indifference that says, I need to do this today, but tomorrow I'll get it right. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> I, I, need, I know that this is the way God wants me to go, but God understands I'm going to put it on pause a little while while I take care of this and do this and do this. It's called indifference, familiarity and conforming. And, and I'm guilty of that in all of many assignments God has given me. I keep waiting and pushing and polishing and working and I find myself frustrated by it many times. And there are so many people, it's so sad, that when the opportunity comes to really get it right with God, there's an indifference that says, I'll just pause and wait. My saddest moments are two people I remember. I've shared it, and I'll share it again. One was the emir's royal family in Kuwait. The man had seen miracles at my hands right after the war, the day after. He'd seen the power of God. He'd seen fearlessness in my spirit all given by God. He came into my room the night I was leaving. He knocked on my door at midnight. He said, I came, I want you to pray for me, man of God. I said, I can pray for you, what do you want? He goes, I want to not be afraid. I said, you need Jesus. And I began to tell him more about him and I told him you need to repent of all of your false gods and you need to change and you need to trust Jesus and walk with him and with tears in his eyes, his head in, in my chest. I thought for sure that was the moment and yet he said to me, I can't because I would have to walk away from everything I have here. Indifference, a decision made to not make a decision. Another man that worked for me and with me multiple times, at least a half a dozen I could count. I testified and witnessed to him and prophesied over him and said, there's going to be a day when you're not going to be able to kick this around any longer. His name was Jeff. And I'll remember the last time he looked at me and he said, well... I believe what you're telling me is right, but I'm not ready to give up my life. Wasn't a week later, he was killed. You see, there comes a point that people do miss the moment. There comes a point when people that have even accepted Christ can miss the moment. That's why the fear of the Lord is foundational. And the fear of the Lord isn't just reverence for God. And as some have taught, it's not the love of the Lord. Yes, the love of the Lord is very important. Love the Lord thy God. 
but it's the fear of God that is supposed to sustain us and keep us. Understanding how sovereign He is and that there is a price that we pay for obedience to God and that repentance isn't something that we just take out of the closet now and then and put it back away. We walk in repentance with God to be changed and to have a heart to say, Lord, I'll let go. Change me. Pride gets in the way. Oh, we're a prideful being, aren't we? Unlike any other being created and breathing on earth, we have a lot of pride. Even those who are thinking they have no value left, they even have a pride of saying no. I'm going to hold on to no. I'm not going to change because the minute I say I will, then that's the last thing I've got to give. And that's what keeps so many people bound in addictions and in sin because I don't want to give in. Once I give in, I have nothing else. This is mine. No one can take it from me. Pride. So Billy said this too, which I really liked. He said, hearts harden in the process of life. And people can get so hard that we think we're okay when we're not okay. Or we don't even hear the Holy Spirit anymore and we're wondering whose voice we listen to. I wonder if he was thinking about his own child at the time. How many of you know the story of Franklin Graham? I sort of liked the guy because he was a wild root. And there he was in the home of Billy, but yet he had to go experience some things and rebel, and then he came full circle to carry on the legacy and do it in a great way for his father. He's not a great and wonderful anointed preacher. What he is is he's a facilitator, and he does things all over the world to just help the least of the least. I know a young man that he took himself and planted him in Alaska who was lost who was abusive to his mother, huge guy. And he put him there to learn the wild. And today he's a tour guide as people come to the Graham uh, retreats in Alaska, completely changed. So I think maybe Billy was thinking about his own son when he says a conscience needs to be resensitized. How about that? And I'm not just talking about people that have not accepted Christ or don't want to hear it. I'm talking about people that maybe have been in the church a long time, but the conscience needs to be resensitized because things have been conforming instead of transforming. And let's start with leadership. Let's start with pastors, televangelists, apostles, prophets, I don't care what they're called. Something very sad that the news media picked up on last week. Very sad. But it was true because I know some of these people. And I've been in their midst and I've seen it. And, and they began to point out how much money. And it was all about men mostly. How much money their wardrobe is every Sunday and that it's new every Sunday. And we're not talking about $100 or $200 or three suits for the price of one. We're talking about $800 shoes to start with. Tennis shoes. 
We have children in Africa who have no shoes. $800 buys a lot of shoes. How do you put on $800 shoes and preach, forgive me, and preach the gospel with a heart that says, when they were naked, where were you? How about a belt that costs $2,500? A belt. A belt. If somebody gave me one, I wouldn't wear it. I'd be ashamed. I'd say, maybe I could take this down to that store. What's it called where you put expensive stuff and they take it on consignment? Suits. A $3,000 suit is considered low on the totem pole, closer to 10. I'm not going to mention his name. He looks young and he wears young-looking clothes. His average wardrobe is $3,500 every Sunday. Good word. Bad example. And I wonder what the Lord is wondering and thinking. I have that answer. It's Ezekiel 34. Bottom line summary. I'm somewhat against the shepherds who are feeding themselves of the goodness of my people. That's what that is. Feeding oneself of what God's people sow for the kingdom of God. If one thing, I can understand that passion, that desire that came out of Christ. When he walked into the temple and took out a whip and turned over the tables, trying to make an example, how could you be so hypocritical to be in my father's house and you're worshiping greed and selfishness. Maybe I'm giving the message with a little bit more of a sword than Billy did. Maybe that's why he was so anointed. Beloved, life is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11 The life of the flesh is in the blood. But the life of the Spirit is in the blood also. And we're told in Hebrews that it was He who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unto the Father. Let's stop and think about that as we prepare for communion. Christ was made sin who had never sinned. That means He became sin. That didn't mean He just covered sin. That didn't mean that he was just a substitute for sin. Yes, he was that and more. He became sin. His soul was filled with sin. He had a soul. He was flesh. His soul became sin. He was made sin who knew no sin. That you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Ezekiel was very clear. The soul that sins must die. That soul must die. That's spiritual death. That's not fleshly death. The soul that sins must die. So that soul that was made sin of Jesus Christ our Lord, the Lamb of God, was made sin. And when he gave up the ghost, 
that soul descended into the places that souls go to that are sinful. The depths of hell that David saw in Psalms 22. And from that place, not only was he there, somehow through the eternal clock, he suffered the consequences of our sins. Because without judgment, there's no justice and there's no righteousness. God had to judge somebody. And he so loved you and I that he gave his only son to judgment. Now here's the point. When he rose from the dead, we get a very small little glimpse of this eternal clock that Christ was taking the journey of. Came from heaven to earth as a man. Yet God died on the cross as a man, yet the Son of God descended into hell as every sinner, every sinner, but yet was God. And at the appointed time, he resurrected, but he still had not been cleansed because the blood needed to be presented on the mercy seat of the Father, not on the mercy seat of man's temple, the mercy seat of the Father. And on his way, transitioning up to show that he had risen, to bring hope to people before they gave up. One of the women came to hug him and to worship at his feet and just rejoicing. Can you imagine the risen Christ is in your midst again? Don't touch me. I've not yet been to my father. He takes that blood and he comes into the mercy seat, his own blood. He offers it on the throne room of God because your life is in that blood and his life is in that blood. And through the eternal spirit, that blood is enough to wash us clean, not cover us, not cover us, to turn us into new creatures. And old things are washed away and all things are made new. And all of a sudden our minds light up and bursts of light come in and we can see what we hadn't seen. And the natural mind is no longer overwhelming the light. And we just have to allow the light to come in and to push back the natural mind. Through the blood. Through the blood. And once and forever... He became our propitiation for sin. More than that, He became our redemption. More than that, He became our forgiveness. More than that, He's our eternal life. Our soul lives. We don't have to wonder and fear what happens with that last breath. We don't have to be those who mourn over our loved ones that pass on that know Christ. Yes, it tears from our heart for a short while, but we know that we will be reunited in eternity. Broken bodies, painful bodies, abuse circumstances, regrets, they all wash away. And we get a hope, Christ, the hope of glory, in us, not over us, in us. 
in us. And so let's go as we pass out the communion elements, please. Beloved, there's no more convenient time to come to Christ or to recommit our hearts and lives to Christ. Now, you see, there's also another talisman of of Pentecostal and Christian religion and faith, and that is that in order to recommit ourselves to Christ, we have to be backslidden. (laughs) No, no. Every day we can recommit ourselves to Christ. Every moment, every communion, every worship song. Just this morning, as I struggled to try and rest a little bit longer, I started to laugh and I went into repentance. And I started to repent about just some rough edges. Things that I knew I was sort of holding on to and just to prepare myself for this morning. And, and I was wise enough to know in Christ that I didn't get it all finished. <laughs> but I also am mature enough in him to know that he's the potter and I'm the clay and he'll keep doing the work. As long as my heart is open and willing. Beloved, this is a time for those who just want to say, I want to be renewed in Christ today. Look at it this way. Every one of us comes to a pause on the journey of glory. That's why the Word of God says that we transform from a glory to a glory to a glory. The old things are old already the old glory may not work at the, at the potency that God wants for you today. That glory was for then, but there's a new glory for today. And there's another one that's for tomorrow. And then there's another one. And so we can pause in the old glory. Or we could say, you know what, Lord? It might be a cost. I'm not sure. But let's move into that next realm of glory. And, and Father, when you say it's long enough there, let's move into that next realm of glory and When you say it's long enough there, let's move into that next realm of glory. And even as Paul cried out and he said, I'm I'm there, but I've not yet apprehended everything God has for me. Apostle Paul. Suk, a desire to apprehend more of God. Can we at least pray for that together today? For those of us who have accepted Christ, that the Lord would put a passion inside of us here on this time of the passion of Christ to desire more souk, more of God in our hearts and in our lives, more passion. You say, Pastor, I'm doing pretty good with that. Well, I'm going to keep asking for more. I have my good days. I have my bad days. I want more. If you're online, do you want more? Or how about if you're here this morning or you're online Wherever you're at and you say, you know, I know that I fell away from Christ. I know I'm not here to air my dirty laundry and I won't do that to anybody. I never will. I'm not so concerned about people coming up front and us celebrating the fact that you've accepted or re-accepted Christ. That's to you, that's your thing. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's the only way. Some believe it is. They take it out of the scripture that you should make a public confession. Well, 
I have to tell you, my confession when I was saved was public. It was to me, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the middle of a cow field in Hubbard, Ohio. I think God heard it. So, maybe you're here. Maybe you're online and you say, today's the day I want to dedicate my heart to Jesus Christ for the first time. I want to, not in my own power, but I want to say, Lord, help me. You do it. I'm giving it to you because I know I can't do it myself. And I don't even understand everything that I've heard, but I do feel that inclination, which I can only believe is your Holy Spirit walking me, welcoming my soul, drawing me to you because you love me. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I want to say a prayer with everybody else that, that I come back to God or this is my first time that I'm asking Jesus to be my Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Only my eyes open. Every head bowed, every, thank you, every, they are, every eye closed. If that's you, online or here, I just want you to do something. Just put your hand up for a moment. I see you. 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 Yes. And now, for all of us, if you say, Pastor, I agree. I just want more of God. I want to be more passionate for Him. I want Him to take me deeper and further than I've ever been. I want His Holy Spirit to let the lights go off when I'm going the wrong way and help me to go the right way. And I want to just lay things down that for some reason I've had a hard time laying down. And let me be honest, I didn't want to lay down, but by God's grace, help me. If that's just you, just put your hand up right where you are. It's practically all of us. And those online. Father, you see our hearts, Lord. You know who we are. We come to you humbled, Lord. We come to you grateful. We come to you, Lord, and ask you to forgive us our sins. Forgive us sins of past and the sins of present, Father. Forgive us, Lord, that we do receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And I'd like everybody to repeat this prayer with me right now, whether you raised your hand the first time or the second time, here and online. Say, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe he came to earth as man and God. He died on the cross a righteous man. He died for my sins. He was made my sin. He descended into hell where I should have gone. He resurrected in the power of God. He was seen again of man on earth. And he was seen ascending back into heaven where he presented his blood for me. Forgive me my sins, Father, for I have sinned against you and you alone. Wash me clean in your blood. Make me new. And be my Lord. Guide me. 
keep me. Take me. In Jesus' name. Amen. When Christ was at the Passover supper, as we call it, it's Pesach. It was the last one. If you read your Gospels, it will take you through three of them that we know about. And I'm sure he participated in all of them, but this one was special. This was the one with desire I have desired. He took the cup, and it says he divided it amongst them. And he told them, divide this amongst yourselves when the time comes. And then he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. Now, that was quite typical, to break the bread and pass it to the left and to the right, so that all could take a piece. But there's a difference here. This time, he said, this is my body, which I'm giving for you. So this, do to remember me. He was establishing the covenant, the new covenant. The natural man and mind cannot comprehend what it means to partake of the body of Christ. But we are the body of Christ. And so in essence, what's happening is we are merging ourselves over and over every time in communion with Him and recommitting ourselves to that covenant. And that covenant brings us so much hope and help. Isaiah saw it. He said, by His stripes, we are healed. Many saw it. Jesus Christ himself saw it. He said, I've come to set you free and to take the prisoners captive back with me to the Father. So much in the body. So what we do is we break it. And we partake in fellowship with Jesus Christ, in communion with him, that we are those that are in new covenant with him. New covenant that says you have eternal life, you have life abundantly, you have all of his promises, and that you have the power of his resurrection. Let's eat. He took the cup after supper. That would have been in the middle. The middle of the Haggadah. The middle when dinner was over with and the two cups had already been divided amongst themselves. He took the third cup. The cup that has the messianic overtone. The cup that believes that God who delivered shall deliver again. The cup that proclaims the Gael. The deliverer of God. And this one he took, he blessed it. And then he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. 
And then he said, the one who is here to betray me is here. A difference. Not the third cup of the Haggadah, of the Passover, that looks forward to the Messiah and deliverance, but the one that says, he's here. He's risen. He's come. He's coming again. And this is the testament of the blood that he shed for you and shed for me. His blood. His blood. The power of the blood that's still working and that is strong enough to overcome with your testimony and the power of this blood. Let us take. Thank you, Jesus. Resurrection Sunday. I want you to know that as we have recommitted ourselves to the Lord, some for the first time, myself and others again, I want you to know that there's a power of his resurrection that is released unto us. And we're going to ask the Lord to activate that power in each and every one of us and you right now. The power of the resurrection is the most formidable force ever witnessed in heaven and earth. Nothing can compare to it. The power of his resurrection not only resurrected Christ from the dead, but it overcame hell and all of its power. The power of that resurrection redeems every soul from the beginning of time until the end of time from sin and hell. The power of that resurrection gives authority over sickness and death and poverty and addictions. The power of that resurrection is ultimate authority. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And the power of that resurrection rests inside of you and I because we have been merged one with him. So what I'd like you to do right now, we're just going to take a couple minutes. What I'd like you to do right now is to believe God. Take a moment, ponder. Some of you don't have to think too long of those things that you want to put at the cross this Sunday morning. It's relationships, it's illnesses. Some of us are fighting our own demons that oppress and come back. Some of it goes back to childhood. Some of it is as fresh as this morning. Those things that are oppressing you, that make you weary, and let's be honest, that give you fear, Sometimes fear for tomorrow or even tonight or what happens when you walk out the door here and you're out of the sanctity of the fellowship of the saints and the hallowedness of the hall of the church. Those things, ponder them. Think about them. And do something prophetic. Just, just as if you put them in your hands. 
Just give them as an offering to Christ right now. Lift them to Him. Present them to Him. And let's ask Him, Son of God, our Lord, our Lamb, take these burdens. They're too heavy for us. Take these illnesses. Take these fears. Take these failures. Take time, Lord, and let us be free. Take them, Lord. We give them to you, Father. We're yoking them to you, O oh Lord. You touch. You touch, Lord. We give you all the glory, Father. For when we would be weak, we are strong in you, O oh Christ. We thank you, Lord, that your arm is never too short, your bosom never too far away. Father, can you see us? Can you smile at us? Can you touch us? Living God, be glorified, Lord. We declare the power of your resurrection in this house. And this, your people, here and wherever we are. Be glorified, O oh Lord. Holy Spirit, do your work and do it fast. Jesus, may the angels echo on high with us as we declare each one of these needs, these fears, these issues, that they are finished in the name of Jesus. And I want you to say something, three words. I want you to declare it with your mouth and say it like you mean it. The same words that our Lord said when he knew he was about to complete the work for you and me. It is finished. Say it again. It is Say it again. It is finished. In the name of Jesus. I just felt a tremendous release come through. I almost feel guilty to interrupt it right now. Just wallow in that release of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you will, as your eyes are closed, just see whatever it was and is that was haunting you is, is just disintegrating like little pieces of glass and falling to the earth, never again to be able to form itself into a weapon against you. I see loved ones, head spinning and looking at the cross. I see inflammations going out of bodies. And I see debts disintegrating. I see fears going away. I see smiles lighting up on faces. And I see the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. There's no darkness in this house. For Christ is risen. 